Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 11. When you got it, say so. And it says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promises, having hope, having no hope, and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has, both, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he, be, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together as a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your word that sets us free and Lord God, this morning we come to you with our hearts humbled, my Lord, and I pray, dear God, that you would give each of us in this place ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. I pray, Lord God, that we would not be idle in our listening, but that we would be active. I pray that we would not just hear, but that we would do, Lord God, that we would respond to you. I pray today, Lord, that you would remove distractions from our minds. I pray that you would, if you haven't already, God, lift up heavy burdens off of hearts. And Lord God, give us the ability to hear from you that we may go forth as your children, as brothers and sisters in one body, Lord God, to do your will in this earth. Father, be glorified in these next few moments. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, I think we do. We have any outlines left? We don't have any outlines. I'm sorry about that. I want to apologize. That is my fault. Um, last week, I did not communicate um, clearly. Uh, there's a couple of things I have to apologize for. We weren't exactly sure um, what was going to happen last week, and so I did not give Minister Lewis the heads up, and so I apologize that we didn't record the, the stuff that went on here. That was awesome. So if you weren't here last week, I have to tell you, you missed it. <laughs> I'm just saying, you missed it, and I wish I could do something about it, but, you know, it happens, right? But glory to God, God is here today, amen? amen? And so are you, so we're good to go. And so also, obviously, they handed out the outlines last week, and I forgot to send um, Jonathan an email to print them out, and so I take all the blame for that. So what you're going to have to do is listen carefully, amen? <laughs> And if you have paper and pen, you can take notes on your own. Um, if you have your phone, um, you can put on airplane mode, glory to God. Or uh, your iPad, you can put on airplane mode. You can take out your notepad and you go ahead and start doing stuff. Don't be texting while I'm preaching, amen? Don't be over there checking Facebook updates. Unless you're tweeting something I'm saying, that's okay. 
right? I'm okay with that. No, I'm just joking. No, don't be doing all that stuff, all right? Tweet later on. When you leave, be like, that was an awesome service. Let me quote my bishop. You can do that. But don't be doing it during the middle of the service because you know how it is. You get distracted, right? You go down there. You're like, that, that was so awesome. I'm doing that. And all of a sudden, you're nine you know, minutes in to scrolling, right, on Facebook. I don't know what's going on. Or wherever you all, Instagram, wherever you're at. But anyway, all that being said, we are in the book of Ephesians, and we are in our second week. It's actually our sixth week of our series, core, our, core, our core four series, and so today we're going to be dealing with this topic of we've been reconciled to each other. We have been reconciled to each other, and so last week and in the, in the last message we established the foundation for gospel-centered community being the Trinitarian God, not last week, but in the last message, we established the foundation for, being, uh, for, for us being in community with one another is a Trinitarian God we serve who dwells in perfect community and how he and how we as his image bearers are to image God in all of our relationships. Say all. All of our relationships, we are supposed to image him in every area of our lives, in our relationships in our homes with our parents, if we're children, in our relationship with our husband, with our wife, we're supposed to image God. In our relationship at work, we're supposed to image God. In relation to our neighbors, we are supposed to image God. And in community, one with another, we are supposed to image God, right? We're supposed to reflect him, and we're supposed to live for his glory and for his honor. And obviously, he is a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He dwells in this perfect community, and that is the, one of the foundational reasons why we should be together. Today, I'm going to give you that second foundational piece, but the first one is who God is. It is because of who he is that we are who we are. Amen? Amen. It is because of what he has done for us, and that's what we'll deal with today, that we're supposed to be together as one body of believers. And so today, we will add to the foundation as to why we need gospel-centered community. Not only is community an external, an eternal purpose revealed in the Trinity, hear me, but community is also a redemptive reality rooted in the cross of Christ. Let me say that one more time. Not only is community an eternal purpose revealed in the Trinity, but community is also a redemptive reality rooted in the cross of Christ. Because of what Jesus did, we are brothers and sisters. Now, I know that a lot of times we think that that's the cliche statement, right? A lot of times, you know, and some people, they, when, when, I, when I call them sister or I call them brother, they feel old or they feel funny or whatever the case is. And it's, and, and, and it's not just a cliche statement, but when I call you brother or I call you sister, I don't call everybody brother. I don't call everybody sister. Because if I don't know you, you ain't my brother. I'm just saying. I know, you know, we're we all from Adam, but it ain't like that. See, because I'm part of a new family, right? And, and because I'm part of a new family, not everybody is my brother like that, right? I have biological brothers and sisters, and so that, they are my family for sure. And so not everybody is that. But here's the thing. When we are born into the family of God, I want you to get this. Jesus died so that we could be family for real. See, sometimes we disconnect, and, and, and I, I want to say this because I don't, I don't want to confuse anyone here. I am not saying that your biological family is not important, amen? amen? That's not what I'm trying to communicate. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take care of our children, take care of our homes and stuff like that, and forget about everything else. But what I do want you to know is that you, are, you, you really became part of a big family. And so now you got to make some adjustments to your life because your little nucleus of family, right, that was like however many of you there are, no matter, you know, whatever it is. I know y'all thought about nacho right there, right? Some of y'all were like, nucleus, right? I know y'all just went there. I don't know why, but anyway, 
There's certain words you just can't say, right, if people have seen that movie. For those of you who haven't seen it, you should go see it. And then every time I say one of those words, you're going to be laughing like Pastor Aldo. But ultimately, your, your family, right, the, the core of your family has grown. Because of what? Because you are now part of a body of believers that are really your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the last thing I'll say here on this before we move on to the first point or, or, the, or the big idea is gospel-centered community is at the heart of God's purpose for mankind. Listen to me now. Sadly, our culture and our sinful nature have been successful in keeping our relationships superficial, segregated, and sporadic at best. See, what has happened is some of us feel like we're good because we came to church and that's enough. Nope, it's not. It's not enough to come into a building and get around people that are Christian, right? Because what happens is that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to stay superficial. He doesn't ever want you to hang out with each other. You know, he doesn't ever want you to see those moments. This morning, my son, he, you know, he, um, he has this new thing that he does. He's always done this, but, um, you know, he, he's like a chipmunk. And so when he eats, he puts food like in the side. And it one, it's one cheek. It's his right cheek. It's always like, and I'm like, this child. So, you know, my mother-in-law, when she's feeding him, we, we push this cheek to push the food in his mouth. And so the last couple of days, I don't know what his issue is, but he has decided that he is going to hold it in his mouth. And he's not going to, you know, he's, just, he's not talking. He's just got food in his mouth. This last little bite that he just doesn't want to swallow. I don't know why he does that. And then, you know, because I'm tired of him walking around with it in his mouth, I'm like, Josiah, spit it out right here. And so what does he do? He spits it out right here. And so this morning, he came to church. He had his oatmeal this morning, and he had a mouthful when he came to church. And I was like, glory to God. And he, and he, and he continued with the mouthful. And so my son loves the drums. You know, he, he stole Jonathan's drumsticks, and he had them for like the weekend. And so we come back to church, <laughs> hid the sticks from my son. You know, he, I, I go in there. I try to, I, I literally, I'm standing in the back of the same. My son is short, okay, in comparison to me, right, in these chairs. I don't know how, but he saw those sticks. I mean, I was holding them down here, hiding them. And by the time I got here, he was in front of me like, Daddy, right here. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So anyway, telling you, there's a point to all of this. So we get over here to the drums. I get him in, in here into the drum cage. I put the drumsticks in there, and he's having a fit, right, because he wants to play the drums. He still has a mouthful of food. So, Sean, when you said to me earlier, you said when I walked by you and you were like, how you doing? I didn't respond. It was because I wanted to lay hands on my son in a special way. Because rather than spitting the food out in my hand, guess where it went? All over the floor. And it looked like vomit because it's what? It's oatmeal. Hello. And so I am like, but here's what I want you to know. If y'all weren't around me, you would never see me be in the flesh like that. Hello. And know you need to pray for me. Glory to God. You would never know that, right? But some people want you to think that, hey, they dress their best on Sunday. They look good and everything is okay. That is superficial. That is fake. That is not real. Look, we can all dress real good. We can all say the right stuff. But we need people in our lives at those moments to see the ugly moments so they can do what? So they can call us on and say, man, that was ugly, bro. He's a three. He's a two and a half year old kid who had his mouth full of oatmeal and he got upset. That's okay to happen. Hello. I grabbed my son, I, I held him like this. I wouldn't even hug him. I walked him out of the sanctuary like this all the way to the bathroom. I was terrible. I was terrible dad. I'm confessing my sin to you. But listen, we are superficial in our relationships. We don't want people to see any of the bad stuff in us. And it's not that we should just continue being bad. We are all sinners by nature. That's true. But it doesn't mean that that's an excuse for you to continue to live horrifically. Hello. We should be doing what? Growing in the grace and knowledge of who Jesus is. And so not only is it superficial, but it's segregated, you know? And listen, I'm one guy, I, I would say this right now, there's people that, you know, accuse the church of being cliquish, and you know, and I'm not talking about faith, though. I'm talking about the church in general, and this happens, but can I tell you something, read the Gospels, Jesus seemed a little cliquish to me, 
Just saying. Just a little bit. I'm just saying. He had like 12 guys he hung out with all the time. And, 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 and among those 12, he had three more that he was really tight with. That they were like every, like he brought the 12 and he'd be like, y'all stay here. Come on, y'all three. It's a little clickish, right? There's a reason for that, right? Because there, 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 there's only so much emotional bandwidth, right, that a person has. You can't have 12,000 intimate relationships, okay? I don't know how many people are in this building right now, but you cannot be intimate with every person in this room. It's impossible. But what you need to do is you need to connect. Hello, somebody. Connect. Connect life groups, right? You need to connect with a body of people so that way there are some people who you can connect with and you can unify with and you can grow with together. It doesn't mean that we can't hang out and we won't fellowship. It just means that we will not be as intimate as, 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 as we are with those specific people. That's all it means. Well, we're segregated, right? We pick one or two people and we have our little thing. Now, here's the, now here's the thing. My connect, right? Y'all heard, y'all, y'all saw the video the other day. We were watching about this stuff, you know, about the, the things to do and, you know, and, and community groups and stuff like that. And one of them, they were talking about the size of the groups. And one of the guys like, my group is like 150 people. I don't know when I'm going to be able to share, but one day, right? And so ultimately, our groups are all open groups, meaning that you can come and we want you. We want every single person that calls Faith Dome home to be part of the Connect Life group. We want you to be part of that. We try to do everything we can to make it possible. We give you a Saturday morning option. If you can't make a weekday, we give you Tuesday nights. We give you Wednesdays. Listen, we've done everything we can to make this, make this accessible to you. And it's not to be an event in our life. It is for what? So we can really have community. And listen, I want you to know something. There is something that unifies us, and I'll say this continuously throughout this message. It is Jesus. It's not external stuff. Jesus unifies us. So you know what? You have Jesus in common with everyone in this room that is a believer, and you can build on that. Are you here? And the last one I said is that it's sporadic. And so you know what? You get some people that they're like sporadic connectors. Right? They like get together like once, once in a while. Like sometimes they feel really spiritual or they feel really excited or they feel really motivated. And so they get together, but they're not consistent. And I want you to know that's the way the enemy wants to deal with us. And so here's the big idea today that I want you to get. If you're taking notes, write this down. On the cross, Jesus reconciled a people to himself, not just individuals. Let me say that again. On the cross, Jesus reconciled a people to himself not just individuals. The reason why I say that is because whenever we look at our Savior, whenever we present the gospel, we always, we always try to make it personal, right? It's always like Jesus died for you. This is true, is it not? It better be true because if it's not, then we all have, you know, been deceived. But the truth is he died for you, but he didn't just die for you. He died for us. I'm reading a book, I read a book a while, a while ago, it's called Restoring the Jewishness to the Gospel. And one of the biggest issues that Jewish people have with the gospel and the Savior that we present is that he's not a communal Savior, he's an individual Savior. Because the Jewish people are waiting for what? A Redeemer who is going to save the people of Israel, not the Redeemer who's going to save an Israelite. Are you getting that? See, they understand this community. See, that's the reason why we read in the book of Acts and we see the scriptures that we went over the other day is that these people were in community. It was natural because the spirit of God came, but they understood community. They understood how to be in relationship, right? Obviously, different culture, different time. Nonetheless, the same principles apply to us. And so on the cross, Jesus reconciled a people to himself, not just a person or or, or not just individuals. And so the first thing, my first point here, repeat this after me, say sin is... The only thing that keeps us 
out of gospel-centered community. Sin is the only thing that keeps us out of gospel-centered community. I know you just like 10 red flags went up. Well, what about my job? I'm not talking about that. This is not a biblical quote, but I've heard it quoted, and I believe it's true. When there is a will, there is a way. When you really want to make something happen, you're going to make it happen. When you really want to do something, now listen, I understand there are circumstances. I'm not talking about those of you that long to be in community. If you long to be in community, don't feel rebuked. But if you are a slacker, but if you make every excuse in the book not to be in community, you should feel the weight of this on you right now. Because it's just an excuse. And you want to know the whole core of it is? The core reason why we don't get into gospel center community is because of sin. See, here's what happened. In the Garden of Eden, something occurred. God, who does what? Creates man in his image and likeness. He creates man and woman, and they are together in his image and likeness. They are intimately in communion with one another. God is in communion with them. And what happens? The Bible says that sin enters the world. And what is the first thing that happens? The first thing that happens is their eyes are open and they recognize they're naked and they do what? They try to cover themselves from each other. So what do we see immediately happening? Well, the first thing that happens immediately is that there is separation among people. Hello? People who were not supposed to be bound. I mean, thank God we wear clothes today. Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> but if everything would have been okay, there, you know, any, we would have been a nudist community if you think about it. But nonetheless, it would have been a pure, not crazy. Anyway, all that being said, right? I'm glad we're not. Y'all get those pictures out of your head. So, you know, coming in, I, I'm, I'm going to leave it alone. But here's the thing, right? Woo. Here's the thing. The thing is, these people were created for intimacy with each other that was unhindered by anything. And because of sin, they're separated from one another. The next thing we see is what? They're separated from God. Now, that happened immediately. They didn't, you know, they got scared. They're now fearful, and they do what? They try to hide from God. And then what happens after all of it? The result is they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and they're not able to eat of the Tree of Life. So what does that tell me? That tells me that sin separates us from the life that God plans for us. See, God wants us to have communion with him. He wants us to have communion with others. And he wants us to experience all of his provision for our lives. And when we allow sin to dominate our lives, we are separated from God. We are separated from one another. And we are separated from God's provision. You see, but Jesus on the cross, he dies. And you know what I love about this whole Ephesians text? is because it shows us the gospel in community. The first issue that we all have to deal with is what? We have to deal with our sinfulness. And so look at verses 11 through 12. It says, therefore, remember. And I love this. You know what? Pause for a moment. I love this because Paul is not afraid to remind these people of their sinfulness. Are you here? He's not afraid to remind them of, of where they came from. He's not afraid to remind them of what was going on inside. He's not afraid to tell them about that. See, in our day today, we don't want to hear about sin. We don't want to hear about our past. We don't want to hear about our nature. We want to be told some other kind of stuff. But the reality is Paul is like, hey, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. Now, he's going through a list of things here, right? He's talking about them being Gentiles in the flesh. He's telling them that they are what? That they are alienated in two ways. Socially, now I want you to get the picture here. He's telling them they're Gentiles because what? Because in, in these times, there are two groups of people on this earth, really. There's two groups. There are the Jews and everyone else. That's it. 
There's two groups of people in reality. What I mean by that? Oh, well, there's, you know, Hispanics and there's, you know, this and Asians and all. There, there's all of those, those people groups. But when it came to the whole covenant of God, there were two people groups. The people of covenant and the people outside of covenant. That was it. And so he's saying to them, you were Gentiles. You were alienated. You were separated from what? God in, in, in one way. And you were separated from the people of God in another way because he's dealing with this whole thing of us being together. So he goes on to say, he says, who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Look what he says. He said that at that time you were without Christ. So the first issue was they were without Christ. Why were they without Christ? Because they were not part of the covenant people. They being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They weren't citizens. They didn't have citizenship of Israel, so they didn't have the rights that Israel had. They were strangers from the covenants of promise, so they didn't have any of the covenant promises of God. I love this, and I want you to get this. Having no hope, everyone who is without God has no hope, no matter what they say. No matter what they act like, no matter what it seems like, they are without hope. And this is what Paul reminds him of. You were without hope. And then he says the last thing here, you are, you were without God in the world. And see, our world needs to hear this message because what? Because that is how they are. They think they have God. They think they're okay. They think everything is all right. But the reality is they're not okay and they are not all right. They are without hope and they are without God. And so Paul reminds them of these things. And here's what I want you to get when we deal with the sinfulness. It is not until we recognize and address our separateness from God that we can be reconciled to each other. Let me say that again. It is not until we recognize and address our separateness from God that we can be reconciled to each other. Here's the truth. The truth is, the reason why we have fights, we have quarrels, we have all of this stuff is because of sin. And you know what the issue is? Here's the deal. The deal is, we're always looking at someone else's sin instead of looking in the mirror at our sin. We want everybody else to deal with their sin, but we're not willing to deal with our sin. We want everyone else to address their issues, but we're not willing to address our issues. And here's the deal. We need to recognize that we are, and I love this statement, and you may not like it, but we need to recognize that we are the biggest sinner in the room. When we recognize that, we look at people totally different. We extend grace to people because we don't think that we're all that. We extend mercy to people because we realize, man, we are not. We are, we are ones who receive God's mercy consistently and continually. And so when we come to that realization and we deal with our sin because our sin, right? The gospel starts with God being good and then we move on to what? Man being sinful because of the fall. And that's what we're dealing with here. We're all sinful. And so we need God to deal with that sin. The second thing, repeat this after me. Say, Jesus' death, Jesus death. addressed our sin, sin. that leads... So our reconciliation. Jesus' death addressed our sin that leads to reconciliation. So the first part of the gospel is what? It is that we are sinful. We are without hope. We are separated from God. We need the life of God. We don't have anything apart from God. We are, we, we are on our way to what? To an eternal destination separated from him. But can I tell you something? Here's what I want you to get. That if you don't have God in this life, you don't get the life that God wants you to have in this world. And I'm not saying it's all peachy and it's all perfect, but I can tell you what, a life with God is a lot better than a life without God, no matter what you got in this life. Every day is better with Jesus. Every day that you walk with him is better. And so that's what I mean. I don't mean everything's going to be perfect. Don't get it twisted. I'm not one of those kind of preachers. I don't think that, you know, you come to Jesus and, you know, you say a prayer and all of a sudden life is going to be easy. That is a lie from the pit of hell. As a matter of fact, sometimes things get harder once you say yes to Jesus. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, he's told you to pick up your cross to deny yourself. Hello, somebody. 
We're all trying to live this American dream. We all want to be happy for me and myself and me and get mine. And that's the wrong mentality. That's not, that's not why you come to Jesus. I tell you the reason why that whole garbage, and I'm not even going to call it gospel, that whole prosperity garbage, the reason why that's such an issue, prosperity garbage, the reason why it's such an issue is because all it does is communicates to you about you, and God wants to give you for you and about you. It's all about you. It's not about Jesus. It's all about you having that car. It's all about you having that life. It's all about you having this stuff. It's all about you. And listen, can I tell you something? It is not about us. It is about Jesus. That's who it's about. And so his death deals with our sin. Look at, look at verses 13 through 18. After he gives him the bad news, I love it because he brings the good news. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far, were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that. By the blood of Christ, we have been brought near. For he himself is our peace. I love that. Who has made both one. Now, when he talks about both one, he's saying what? He's who's made both. Who's made Jew and Gentile one. This is what he's saying right here. Remember, we're talking about community, right? We're talking about relationship. We're talking about being the reason why we're supposed to be in, because we have been redeemed to, to, to one another. And so we have been reconciled to one another. And so he says that, so made both one, and look at this, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And so the wall that separated, right, the wall that said that you're unclean and I'm clean, that wall is gone, right? Because of what? Because of what Jesus did. The wall that said that you're not good enough and we are good enough, that wall is torn down. Because of what? Because of what Christ has done. It says, for he himself, now, now he, says, he says, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. In verse 15, it says, having abolished, I love that, having abolished, having destroyed, having erased, having dealt with in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinance so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So what is he doing? He's saying that in his flesh, when his flesh was torn, he made peace with you and me and us. And he brought us together unto himself because of who he is. And he goes on and say, and in verse 16, he says, and that he might reconcile them both to God. Look at that. That he might reconcile them both. Because even though, check it out now, even though the Jewish people thought that they were okay because they're Jewish people. And for some of you that have conversation with those who are Jewish, who, you know, they feel like they're the chosen people of God, so they don't need Jesus. They're incorrect. The scripture says that, he, that, that we all have a need of God. That he might reconcile them both to God. That he might bring them both back to God in one body through the cross. Look at this. Putting to death the enmity. So again, he reminds us that, 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 that relationship that was antagonistic. That relationship that, that was against us. Because what? Because we are in sin. Because we live for our own glory. Because we live for... Understand this. I want you to get this in this place. If you are living for you, you are an enemy of God. I don't care if you go to church every week. I don't care if you give money. I don't care if you're part of a connect life group. If you are living for you, you are an enemy of God. Now listen, if there is one person that I don't want to be my enemy, it is God. I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of people you think about in the natural, like, you wouldn't want to fight him. Like, I don't know. I, you know, when, I, when you know, I'm in the gym sometimes and I see some dude that's like 6'3 and he's super diesel, I'm like, I don't think I could take him. 
I don't know, you know, you know, somebody, I'm like, I don't, I just, I just don't, and I, and I, and I, and I don't, sometimes those thoughts, are, not because I want to fight the guy, I don't know, it's just a guy thing, I guess, because I'm sure women don't walk around like, you know, looking at women, I don't think I could take her, I don't think guy, girls think that, <laughs> maybe some women do, but I think, I think typically, right, typically guys, and, and I think it has to do with where you're brought up also, right, because where you're brought up, like, you know, as you, you know, being raised up in, in, in a certain neighborhoods, you're always looking at, okay, I got to make sure I can take this, I can run fast, one of the two, like, you know, so, <laughs> You know, you got to figure some things out right quick. So maybe that's just thing. But anyway, you know, there's some guys that I'm like, man, I wouldn't want her to be my enemy, right? Like, seriously. But here's the deal. You do not want God to be your enemy. You don't want him to, you don't want to be on his bad side. You don't want to, because you know what? Here, here, the, I wish I could, I could give you the quote of the scripture. I'm going to send it to y'all this week. But there's a scripture, I think it's like 1st, 2nd Timothy or something like that. It might be Thessalonians or something. And I'm going to misquote it really badly right now. But here's what I want you to get. All right, this is what the text says. The text says this. It says, some people's judgment is seen immediately. Other people's judgment follow them into eternity. That's a scary text. Because there's some of you that think, oh, I'm not his enemy. I'm good with him. Okay? I'm not asking you how life looks around you. I'm asking you to consider this. Who are you living for? Because if you are living for yourself, If you are living for your glory, you are his enemy. No matter how much stuff you have in this life, no matter how good things seem around you, and I I hope that that brings fear to your heart if you're living for yourself and you say, man, I don't want to be God's enemy because the the, the deal is this. There's some people, they're going to live their whole life on this earth and get everything that they want and think everything is cool and everything's going to be great. And when they step across the line of eternity, they're going to realize they're, they're not going to meet a savior. They're going to meet an enemy. And that is not the enemy that I want to meet. And if you have not bowed your heart to Jesus, if you have not submitted your heart to him, if you have not given your life to him and said, God, this is not my life, this is your life, then I encourage you to do that. He goes on to say this. He says, and he came, verse 17, and he came, speaking of, this this has got to be one of my favorite portions of this. I love this. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. When I preached to Ephesians, I know that I, I pointed out this verse. This verse is, when did Jesus come and preach to these people? Jesus came and preached to these people when Paul got there and was preaching to them. That's when he preached. He preached through Paul. He came through Paul. Just like to someone in this place, Jesus is speaking, not because I'm great. I am nothing. But he is speaking to your heart, and he's calling you to come to him. He He himself is preaching to you. No matter how far you are away from him, no matter how close you think you are to him, he is preaching peace to you. He wants you to experience his peace. In verse 18, it says this. It says, for through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. God extends his mercy. It is significant that we realize the power of the cross in bringing all men together under the banner of salvation. The gospel must be the center of our communities. Here's the thing. I said it before in the last point. It's not until we deal with our sin that we'll be reconciled to one another. Because when we deal with our sin, what do we do? We start to see people through the, through the light of the eyes of the gospel. But here's what happens. Jesus does all of these things to bring us into relationship with him. And the center of our community is what? It's the gospel. It's not until we realize that we have been brought together. I love this quote. It is not until we realize we have been brought together to be brought together that we will get together. It's not until we realize that we have been brought together with the Father, that we have been brought to that, that we have been brought together with one another, that we'll get together. 
Because you know what we'll do? We'll continue to live our lives for ourselves. We'll continue to live our lives that we're okay because we have the benefit of salvation. The third thing is this. And so the first thing that we see in the gospel is what? Our sin. The second thing we see is what Jesus has done. The third thing in the gospel, and this is so important for you, is that, and repeat this after me, say, God is building us together as a place for his dwelling. And so the first thing is our sin. The second thing is our Savior. And the third thing is our identity. We now receive this new identity in Christ because of what the scriptures say. We now receive this new relationship with him, this new relationship one with the other, and now we are called to do what? To live out that identity, and in part, we're supposed to do that in community, one with the other. Amen? Verses 19 through 22, let's look at it. It says, now therefore, you are no longer strangers, I love this, and foreigners, but look at this, you are fellow citizens, say fellow citizens. Fellow citizens with the saints. That means you have a common citizenship, right? This is like legal terminology here. He says this. He says, and members. Say, and members of the household of God. Say, what, what happened? Y'all got, y'all got weak there? Say, members of the household of God. You know what that means, right? Because, you know, like that, that's like this is the New King James. I don't know what version you're reading over there. But you may not understand what this is saying. This is really saying that you are part of God's family. You see, but, I, but I, I need this to sink down deep inside of your soul. And that way you realize that this is not just some words that are being communicated. But you are really, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm part of God's. Like, you realize some people get this. Like, I think that they grab this. I am God's son or I am God's daughter. But you don't get that is my brother. That is my sister. We have to get that. that. That's what Paul is driving home here because remember, he's talking about these two groups that have been made one group. And so the one thing is what? They are fellow citizens. The second thing is that they are members of the household of God. And verse 20, he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so the, the next thing is that we see that we are built upon a firm foundation, which is what? The inspired scriptures. See, the reason why we come together, the reason why we're called to be in community is not because it's exciting, you know, not because I like it, not because Pastor Chad is passionate about it. We come together and we call, and we're called to be in relationship that is deeper than sitting next to someone on a Sunday and having the three minutes of hellos that we have during the, during the visiting and having a couple of minutes in front of some cakes and some pastries out there. It's more than that, right? There's something deeper and is that God calls us into that because of the scriptures and then not only that, but Jesus himself Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation pillar. He is the one that we stand upon in our community, right? In our life together. Verse 21, he says, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now look at that. We're being fit together. Now, now think about this for a moment. Being fit together, two things. We're fit together at salvation because God calls us brothers and sisters. But then we are being fit together continuously in our sanctification. The more that we become like Jesus, the more we are fitting together. Because you know what the truth of the matter is? There are some people that, look, man, they just, you, you need a lot of Jesus to deal with them. And you may be that person. Hello? Because, you know, a lot of times we think it's always other people that are, are annoying, but you, sometimes you're annoying. I can admit to you, sometimes I'm annoying. Hello? No, no problem. I know y'all get annoyed sometimes, 4.30 in the morning, you get that text message every 
9.30. Be like, man, what is this? Forgot to turn your phone off. You're just mad at Bishop. He just annoyed you. Hello, somebody. And then I send reminder texts on other stuff and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, some of you are, are pretty, you know, technically savvy, and you just silence the conversation, and so you don't even worry about it. But you did that because I was annoying you. Hello, somebody. Ultimately, I, you know, I have no problem understanding that I'm annoying, but just know you're annoying too sometimes. It's all good. Sometimes I need more of Jesus to deal with you than other days. That's just the bottom line. I mean, I just, some days I need to pray a little bit more. Hello, and I didn't pray enough. Glory to God. <laughs> And you are helping me become more like Jesus. <laughs> but you know what? You help me, and I help you to become more like Christ. Amen? Amen. And we're being fit together. We're supposed to fit together. We're supposed to be connected the way that God calls us to be connected. And the last thing here in verse 22, it says, In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. A holy temple being built together for God's dwelling place. Does that not excite you? I mean, I need, I, I need you to understand this. You, 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 you got to get this. What, 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 what we need to realize is the enemy works overtime to divide and destroy union and communion within the building, the body of Christ. For he knows this, listen to me now, that where God dwells, God rules, and where God rules, his kingdom is manifested. You see, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to do everything he can to divide us. He wants to do everything he can to separate us. He wants sin to reign in our lives so that way we cannot deal with one another. He wants us to not care about one another and only care about ourselves. He wants to bring all kind of stupidity up in our lives so that way we are not together. Because what? Because when we get together, now this is talking about the tangible. Are you hearing me? Like we were in worship today. Right? And you felt God's presence, right? I don't know about you. I know I felt God's presence, right? Some of you, you know, maybe you didn't. I don't know. But here's what I do know. What I do know for sure is that God's presence was moving in a special way in some people's lives. That's what I know for certain, right? And so here's the thing. Why is that possible? It is because he is building us together a place for his dwelling in the spirit, a place for him to come and dwell, a place for him to come and reign in our hearts, what Ephesians shows us is that we are already a community based upon what Jesus did. We are now commissioned to grow into who God declares we are. Understand this. I talked about identity here. Identity is instant. Character is developed. So you are instantly child of God. The moment you confess your sin, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, instantly you have a new identity. Instantly your sins are washed away. Instantly you are given a new life, given a new name. You are a new person. Instantly. But can I tell you something? There's other things that are on their way. There's other things that are progressive. Some, some of those things for some of you, it's, it's the way you talk. I'm just saying. Listen, I've told you all this story before, so I'll make it real short for those of you that have never heard it before. When I first got saved, I was radically saved. Like, I was high. My mom is sitting here today, Glory. Can we give God a hand of praise for my mom being here today? And the reason why I say to give her a hand of praise is because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here today, and I wouldn't be able to annoy you. Hello, somebody. But I was high, tripping on acid, messed up, came home. My mom being led by the Holy Spirit, she goes ahead and she preach to me. Now, she tells me she read through the book of Proverbs, and I remember that. I remember this much. I remember when I came home that night, I remember I was messed up, laid down on the bed, and I said, Mom, I said, 
You know, I said, I, did, I messed up tonight. She's like, well, what, what did you do? And I told her what I was doing. She's like, I told you not to mess with those drugs. Uh, yeah, I know. And so I was getting ready to, you know, get up and go. And she, my little brothers were in the room on the floor. It's like, well, since we're here, let's go ahead and read from the word. And now when I was high, I knew that I didn't want to know nothing about God because I knew I was God's enemy. And so I immediately went to get up. And as soon as I went to get up, the Lord spoke to me. And I've only heard God's voice audibly this time that I can tell you for certain. And it was that you have come this far. You're going to stop now. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And let me tell you something. I became petrified. I don't know what I, I was trying to lock the door. My mom's like, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm a gangster, right? Hardcore. And I'm over locking doors like I'm looking like crazy. She's like, sit down. And so she, you know, she starts to, you know, read these scriptures to me. And I wept for hours. I don't know how, how we figure. It'd probably take an hour or so, you know, to read through the book of Proverbs, maybe longer than that. And she read and she read three hours. There you go. She gave me the signal. Three hours. And I cried for three hours straight. And then she ministered to me prophetically, and she started speaking things to me. She started saying to me, she said, you know what? She said, you know, she's, she's, God is speaking through her, and I hear you praying at night. My mom never heard me praying at night. But you know who heard me praying at night? God in heaven. It wasn't like he was answering my prayers in the sense that he wasn't trying to bless me. But he was hearing me. And that night when, when she was finished after she ministered to me for a while, she said, you know, we don't normally do this, you know, in the state that you're in, but, you know, you want to give your life to Jesus? And I said, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. I share that story with you because I was radically changed. The next day, I'll tell you the rest of the story, just give you little, little nuggets here. The next day I called my friend and I said, hey, man, let's go get a bag of weed in Sanford. I was saved, boy, but I thought that was natural, so we could smoke that, right? All good. And now they're legalizing it, so it makes the argument even more difficult, right? Because I can't even say it's illegal. But here's the deal. Listen, I'm going to shut that down real quick. The Bible says not to be drunk. You cannot smoke a blunt. You cannot hit a puff without changing your, altering your mind. Hello, somebody. So if you, can, if you can get around that text, you go ahead and, you know, smoke out all you want. Anyway, here's the deal. The deal is this. I drive with my friend all the way to Sanford. I'm preaching to this guy all the way to go buy this bag of weed, and I'm preaching to him all the way back. When I get out of the car, he says to me, man, I got to go to church. <laughs> Next day I go to church. The Holy Spirit convicts me. I do what? I throw the weed away because I knew, right, the Holy Spirit is like, you know, this is wrong. Threw it away. I tell you all of that because I want you to know that I was radically changed. And, I, and let me tell you something. When I, I, for the first three months of me being a Christian, I read through the New Testament. I mean, I was in there. My mom will tell you. I would be in the room for hours praying. I was in the scriptures. And is it because I was so holy? I didn't have a job and I didn't go to school. Hello. And the Holy Ghost got a hold of my heart, and God started to just mess with my life. And let me tell you something. I was a prideful little Christian because I looked at all these other Christians. They weren't praying. They weren't in their word. When they asked questions, they didn't have nothing to say. I'm like, yo, I got something to say. I thought I was the man. God has humbled me since then. But the most humbling experience was my first time going to New York City. I went to New York City. I saw my, one of my favorite mentors, um, Felix Arroyo is his name. And he, came to, he came to the church for a, a, little, a season of time, and it was just for me, I think, for real. And when he was in this church, you know, he would, he would um, allow me to teach the classes when he would come late and stuff like that because I always had something to say. So I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to teach, right? And when I went to New York, we were talking about, you know, some stuff. And, you know, he, he made a comment. He's like, he was talking to someone else about me. And he said to them, oh, you know how Jason is. And I was like, what? I'm like, you know how Jason is. I'm like, Jason is holy. Jason was loving Jesus. See, the reason why I tell you this story is because instantly I had a new identity. But my character took time. And can I tell you something? It's still in the works. 
I haven't arrived, but I press on. Amen? Yeah. We've got to come to that place that we realize Jesus died to make us one. So here's my question for you. Closing question. What is your commitment level to God's design for gospel-centered community? What's your commitment level? Have you, have you, I mean, if, you, if it's possible, listen, I, again, I know jobs, you know, it's not like, you know, there's one thing that I can attest to is jobs are not gracious and they're like, hey, man, you got to go to church. We're just going to give you off. You know, sometimes you have to fight for that. Other times you have to switch jobs and those types of things have to happen. But ultimately, I'm not talking about those of you that are in, I'm talking about those of you that you know that God is speaking to you. You know. And so my question is, what is your commitment level? And before you answer that question, you know, I want you to, I want you to hear this. And I don't, I don't like to end on a negative note, but I, I asked somebody, somebody sent me an email. They were asking me something, and I, when, I, when I preached the first message of this part of the series, and they were talking about community or something like that, and I said, well, you know, you need to go listen to that first message again. And they were like, okay. So they didn't, they didn't hear the first message, so they went back and they heard the message. So I want to read to you the response. I got their permission. I'm not going to tell you who their name, what their name is. But I asked them to, you know, listen to the sermon. And so this is what they replied to when I talked about being in a gospel-centered community. They said, it was a good sermon, but everything on paper looks better. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in saying that there are some of us that have tried to connect with others at the church. Unless we have a relationship already or there is a specific need, people live their own lives. There are di these are different times than the ones mentioned in the book of Acts. You might not believe me, but I've tried to connect with others at the church, but it has not worked out. I have even tried to help and reach out to some, and people do not care. I've tried to talk to some about my life, but people don't want to hear it. I don't blame them. That's just how we are. Do you think I like being ignored, rejected, left out, or let down? I don't, but sadly, that is how it is. I know. I'm back at the beginning right where I started, right where I've always been. That's why I've been thinking that I should give up churches altogether. I socialize and connect to some degree with people outside the church and my family. It is old and it doesn't make me happy, but my heart is still cold and hard towards a lot of people. So do you want me to listen to the message again? I was like, no, you don't have to listen to the message again. And then I asked them, I replied, and I said, can I share this? And they said, yes. And then listen to the response. Yes, you can share, but honestly, I don't think it'll make any difference. I have heard you mention it before. I mentioned it once, but it is always the same answer. People are busy. They forget. We live in a self-gratifying world that unless I get something from it, if it doesn't affect me personally, it is not my problem. I see it. I hear it all the time. Definitely, it is a very sad and heartbreaking. It is kind of funny because I think of The Walking Dead, the show, which I've never watched, just hear people talk about it a lot. And it makes me think that that's what we are becoming as a society. People walking, living, but bleeding to death in the inside, and people are too busy to even notice. Now listen, I say all that not to make you feel bad. First of all, if you're a person that is trying to connect, because here's the deal, we all, we all long for relationships. All of us do. Sometimes we don't long for the relationships that are there in our lives, but we long for relationship nonetheless. But if you're that person, you know, if you're not, obviously you're, you're probably not this person, but if you're that person that is hurting like this and wants to connect, then I want to I pray for you today that the Holy Spirit would heal your heart, that you would be able to connect. 
But if you're a person in this church and you are not making the effort to connect with people, realize it is your job. The pastors, the leaders, they can't be the only ones to do it. It is your job to connect. When I say job, I don't want to make it seem like that. But it is your responsibility. It is your call to connect with brothers and sisters. When you live life alone, when you do things on your own and you forget about the body, you want to know what you do? You deprive somebody who is hurting from the relationship that you could be giving them. This is the truth. And so my encouragement is for us is that you really check your heart, that you really look inside and say, man, am I really committed to living in a gospel-centered community the way that God calls me to? Stand to your feet, please. I want you to grab your neighbor's hand and let's pray together. I want you to pray for that person beside you that there would be no excuses for them to be able to connect. That there would be no excuses for them to be able to get with the body the way that they should and be part of the body as they should. And if you're, and if you're in this place and you heard the gospel preached today, you obviously did, and you don't know Jesus... You may be asking or thinking, what, what do I do? And what the Bible says is to call on the Lord and you will be saved. That's what it says. So I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus today, call on his name. As I pray, call out to him. Say, God, save me. Say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Say, God, help me to live a life from this day forward for your glory. If that's you in this place, Cry out to him today. Ask him to lead your life and begin to walk with him. But don't just stop there. Tell somebody in this place that you made that commitment. And the next time we have baptism service, make sure you get baptized because that's the next step for you to be able to publicly confess your faith in Jesus. If you're hurting in this place, if there's something going on, if you need your neighbor to pray for you, I just want you to squeeze their hand really quickly right now as I begin to pray. And if someone squeezed your hand, then you know that that person needs you to pray. And so you realize that you are a child of God who has been filled with the Spirit of God. Now pray and be a vessel that God can work through. Father, we come to you right now. Lord God, as your sons, as your daughters, we recognize, dear Lord, how desperately we need you, God. We recognize, Lord God, that you are a holy, righteous, and pure God, that you are glorious, that you are wonderful. And we realize, dear Lord, that you died so that we could be reconciled not only to you, but to one another, that we could be reconciled to each other, that we could experience life and life abundantly, my God, that we could experience you in this world, my God, and be vessels through which your glory dwells and abides and manifests. And so, God, today, I pray against brokenheartedness, my God. I pray, Lord God, against disappointment. I pray against discouragement, my God. I pray, Lord God, against wounds of the past. I pray against abuse, my God. Father God, I pray against those divisive plans of the wicked one today, and I pray that your spirit would bring conviction to our hearts where we need to repent and that you would bring healing, Lord God, where there needs to be healing, Lord. I pray that we would be a people who are committed to gospel-centered community, my God, that 
we would be a people who are committed to growing in the grace and the knowledge of who you are. That we would be a people that are committed one to the other, my God. That we would care about our brothers. That we would care about our sisters, my God. Father God, we pray today for those in this place that are your enemies, God. For those in this place, Lord God, who are not walking with you but are walking against you. Spirit of the Lord, draw their hearts unto you. Spirit of God, break the chains off of their life. Spirit of the Lord, have your way in them. Fill them right now in the name of Jesus. May you change them eternally for your glory and for your honor. And we pray this in the great, great, powerful name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.